Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Hello and welcome to another episode of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. With my co-host Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Uh, Eric, before we go any further, I need to address some issues. Uh, I've got to set some things straight. Um, some of you may have seen some of the images that have been floating around, some screenshots, um, maybe a little bit of grainy video. Uh, look, here's the truth. Um, this Kazakh journalist approached me, said she wanted to talk to me about their country's fine recent boxing tradition in advance of Saturday Night's Fight. Um, and we met uh, in a hotel room. And obviously, we were discussing Gennady Golovkin. And at one point, she said she wanted to see my good boy. And uh, I just assumed she meant the photo of me with Triple G that for reasons I'd rather not discuss, I tend to keep tucks inside my pants. And that's why I was lying back and, and, and untucking my shirt. And honestly, the whole thing has been blown out of proportion and made to seem as if it's something completely unseemly. And it's really just totally above board. I, I just needed to get that out of the way uh, at the top of the show. <laughs> okay. I'm glad you cleared that up. Because uh, I, I had thought maybe you wanted to show her your big drama show. Uh, is that uh... <laughs> Yeah, uh, I, I do believe it was uh, Gennady Golovkin who uh, famously said, uh, I like a box. I like you. Wasn't that that was one of his catchphrases, right? Yes. Yes. Exactly. To, to, to get all of our various Kazakh people that we are alluding to combined, <laughs> combined into one person. Uh, of course, you are uh, talking uh, about the. Uh, infamous Rudy Giuliani scene from from the Borat movie, and uh, luckily for Rudy, uh, Russell Mora was the referee in that hotel bedroom, and he ruled that Rudy's hands never strayed below the belt. It looked low to me, nice. but uh, but uh, but now Rudy got away with it. Nice, nice, excellent. Yes, I think we've managed to com- to absolutely squeeze the last possible drops out of all of that. That's what she said. <laughs> there and, we go. Uh... <laughs> yeah, let's move on. Um, uh, that will not be the last mention of a person from Kazakhstan on this podcast. Um, but this is actually the start of a three podcast week for us as this coming Saturday, October 31st, Halloween night, it's Javante Tank Davis versus Leo Santa Cruz on Showtime pay-per-view. And that fight deserves two podcasts all to itself. We will preview the card in some depth on Wednesday and then on Friday, we'll make our predictions and cover the weigh-in. So on today's pod, we're covering everything else going on in boxing, Uh, all the other fights coming up, a little bit of news, uh, mostly concerning Lopez Lomachenko fallout. uh, And shortly, we'll be joined by Showtime expert analyst Abner Mares for the first of uh, his two appearances on the podcast this week as he shares his thoughts uh, on this past Saturday's Showtime card. Uh, but before we bring Abner on, let's actually offer our own analysis of that triple header that was on Saturday night. Uh, and in the main event at the Mohegan Sun in Uncasville, Connecticut, it was indeed Kazakhstan-born Sergei Lipinets in action. He was facing late replacement Kustio Clayton of Canada in a welterweight 12-rounder. We told you last week, people, that Clayton was no joke. And this was every bit as tough a fight as the one Lipinets originally had scheduled. And the result was about as close and difficult to score a fight as you will ever see. It was Lipinets' forward movement and body shots against Clayton's jabbing and boxing. They went the full 12. One judge favored Clayton, 115-113, while the other two both had it, 114-114, making it a majority draw. How did you score it, Eric? Do you see either fighter having reason to be upset with the result? So I agreed with the two judges who had it a draw. I, I scored at 114-114 also. And 
there were so many close rounds in this fight yeah. where it's just what did you prefer uh, or, or or did one punch catch your eye and swing the round or did, did one guy steal it with a good final 10 seconds? There were so many rounds where you're asking yourself these little questions. I jotted down in my notes before the scores were read that anything from 116-112 one way to 116-112 the other way, I'm not going to dispute. It was that kind of fight. It's interesting that Showtime's Twitter poll favored Clayton roughly 70-30, but there was no draw option in the poll. It was just asking which guy won. So I'm sure a lot of people would have said a draw. And I guess if you're forced to name a winner, it's natural to lean toward the guy who you viewed as the underdog going in who impressed you more relative to expectations. And that was Custio Clayton for most people. Still, I don't think either fighter can complain about the draw. It was that kind of fight where neither guy has a right to feel like he really separated himself from the other. Lipinets maybe seemed headed that way early on. I had him up five to two through seven, but then I thought Clayton took four of the last five rounds and the judges followed a similar pattern This fight was somewhat of a test of how you value body shots. Um, I I think that was a question judges had to ask themselves in almost every round. Lipinets was working diligently to the body. Clayton was landing more headshots. So a scorecard could be skewed if you either overvalue or undervalue body punching. And in general, really, this fight was a great test of judging, period. You know, like if you're new to the sport or or you kind of want to challenge Watch this fight again. Pay close attention. Score it Mm. carefully. It's great practice for any aspiring judge. Um, One quick random observation that has nothing to do with the scoring. Wow, Custio Clayton is jacked for a welterweight. (laughs) He's built like a prime Evander Holyfield almost. Uh, And and he's a a big welterweight, as we discussed last week. Uh, You know that I think people tend to overrate size. It might have played a small factor here as he never looked bothered by Lipinets' punches. He, he took them very well, and that uh, certainly helped him hang right in there all fight long. Yeah. So uh, you'll recall we asked uh, our guest Joe Goosen last week which top welterweights Lipinets would target next if he won this fight. He didn't quite win, though. And the opponent that probably makes the most sense for him is Custio Clayton again. Uh, is that the fight you want to see next, Kieran? And who would you favor if they fought again, say, four or five months from now? The chilling new original docuseries on Paramount+. Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. She's a can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and $15,000 a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control all desire. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Yeah, look, they say that um, a draw is like kissing your sister, right? And and I don't know if that's still considered an acceptable thing to say, but given the way we started this podcast, <laughs> right. but there we are. Um, and, and, and it's sort of an interesting situation here for both guys coming out of that. I think uh, on the one hand, um, it felt as if the immediate post-fight verdict was that if there were a moral victor, in a sense, it was Clayton, um, partly in the sense that, as you mentioned, if couch side scorers, if they scored it for anybody, appeared to score it for him. Um, and also because I think probably quite a few people, this is a classic case of I'm slightly misquoting the phrase that you used last week, but just because you haven't heard of a guy, it doesn't mean he isn't any good. Right. Um, and people either 
hadn't seen Clayton or researched his videos or less forgivably had not listened to the preview on the Showtime Boxing podcast. And so were surprised to find out how good Clayton actually is. Um, you know, but it's interesting against that because Lipinets went into this in contrast uh, as a something of a known factor. You know, the teams of some other welterweights might look at what happened and think, hey, you know what? We can maybe take Lipinets. Maybe Clayton's shown us a little bit about what we can do here. Mm-hmm. You know, there are some vulnerabilities. You know, you can be outboxed, especially if you keep a nice tight defense. Against that, moral victor or not, potential opponents might look at Clayton and think they don't want to go near him. Um, you know, when we were previewing this, we agreed that Clayton was clearly a technically sound boxer. We said that it was clearly going to be a tough contest. But I think one thing that, that leapt out to both of us when looking at the tape was, yeah, he's really good technically. He's got a really good defense. He's really tough. But there's nothing that he does that looks especially exciting or that he appears to do exceptionally well. And on the back of that, and I think there was something of that on Saturday night, like on the back of what happened on Saturday night, so am I going to go and tell friends, oh, man, you have to go see this new guy, Custio Clayton. You've got to go watch him. Like, stop everything and watch this guy. I'm not. Right. Um, if I'm booking fights for television, I'd look at Clayton as somebody who's going to ask questions of whoever you put him up against, who's probably going to beat most of those guys, but isn't necessarily the kind of person you want to showcase. So simply because his style, while very effective and very good and very technically sound, isn't necessarily going to get people to turn on. Um, so yes, in other words... The rematch is what makes the most sense for both men. It's the fight that has the intrigue. Lipinets probably needs it a little bit in terms of being able to reestablish himself as a major player in the welterweight division because that will have taken a little bit of a knock on Saturday night. Clayton probably does because he wants to prove that he's the real deal, that this just wasn't just the case of catching Lipinets by surprise because he was a relatively late replacement. And I think, honestly, you know, because he probably wants to show... I can actually go one step further. Getting the draw here isn't as good as I can get. I can actually beat this guy. And if there were a rematch, I actually might slightly favor him to do that. Uh, Because I think that probably ultimately what caused him to fall just a smidgen short is that arguably in those very early stages, there was a little bit of a reluctance on his part to believe in himself, to commit to his work fully in the very early stages. And I think if he comes out from the beginning with the kind of rhythm that he showed you know, uh, uh, once he got going, you'd favor him. And at the same time, he showed that he's such a tough nut to crack. It's very difficult if you're on the Lippinette side to think, oh, yeah, this is obviously like what I needed to do to break him down and do this because he is just so tightly wrapped defensively and so difficult to beat and so technically sound and so solid. It's very difficult. Well, you might not look at Custio Clayton and think he's the most exciting guy in the world. Gosh, he's going to be an awfully hard person to beat. And I do think probably in the rematch... I might actually slightly favor him. Yeah, he certainly was the stronger man down the stretch of this fight. So it's sort of like what uh, Joe Goosen was saying last week about Lopez and Lomachenko, that uh, based on the way the second half of the fight went, he would lean toward Lomachenko in a rematch. I think you're right. probably capturing the sentiment here that that Clayton might come into a rematch as a very slight favorite. Yep. But again, there wasn't a whole lot to separate them here. Uh, as you said uh, in introing the fight, uh, a fight just can't get any closer than, than Lippinets Clayton was. Uh, but uh, in the co-feature uh, between unbeaten junior lightweight prospect Xavier Martinez and veteran Claudio Marrero, we had a case where it was 
almost as hard <laughs> to pick a winner after it was over. Uh, and, and it packed some of the drama that Lipinets Clayton lacked with Martinez having to get off the canvas twice to win a narrow unanimous decision by scores of 115-111 and 114-112 twice, uh, which is how I saw it as well, 114-112. The drama came in round eight, when just seconds into the round, the Southpaw Marrero dropped Martinez with a sudden right hook to the jaw, and uh, he beat the count but was on shaky legs. Marrero pounced and scored another knockdown, and Martinez looked in enormous trouble with still more than two minutes of the round uh, left to survive, but he did survive, and I thought referee Arthur Mercanti Jr. did a good job letting the fight go on. Martinez showed a lot of heart and toughness, and you don't see this too often. One fighter tallying a 10-7 round and then arguably losing every round after that. Uh, Kieran, a few questions. Uh, did Martinez win on your scorecard also? Uh, should Marrero be kicking himself for letting him off the hook? And we talked beforehand about how Martinez needed some rounds. Was this the sort of test that will serve him well in the long run? Yeah, so I also scored at 114-112 Martinez. Uh, and in fact... Uh, I was half expecting a draw in this fight, to be honest with you, because um, uh, I think those last four rounds were quite close, and yeah. I would not have been surprised to have seen a 113-113 a card. Uh, it's funny, you know, to pick up on a point that you just made. I'm not normally much of a fan of Arthur McCanty Jr. as a referee, as as I'm sure we've talked about before. He's awfully brave as a referee. I'll, <laughs> right. I'll never get over him, like, picking up the towel that Yuri yep. Foreman's corner threw in and throwing it back out again. Um but this was the time where you really wanted to have Arthur McCanty Jr. being your referee. Um, yeah, Martinez was definitely in trouble. He wasn't in the sort of trouble that it was screaming at the TV to stop the fight. Right. But a more trigger-happy referee might have stepped in a little early here. Um, especially as, as you said, it was so early in the round that Marrero you know, put him down the first time and then again a, a second time. But it also didn't feel very long after that second knockdown where you began to get the sense that Marrero had kind of, you know, used up what he had there. It wasn't very long, even though Martinez still looked on very uh, uncertain legs with two minutes to go in the round. You thought, Oh, this could be it. You know, this is just a step too far for Martinez with one minute left to go in the round. It was already feeling as if Martinez had his legs a little bit under him. Um, you know, Marrero did let him off the hook. I, I think he should be disappointed in himself. He he arguably had a shot at finishing him in that eighth round had he just been able to land a few more clean shots. Um, and he should have shown far greater initiative and impetus in that second, subsequent four rounds. I don't know what happened to him, whether he just came out with the desire to try to finish things in that eighth round and then just didn't have what it took to go back to the well there there have been some talk and there was a talk about it the commentary team that sometimes Marrero may not be in quite as good shape as he ought to be for you know a professional prize fighter and maybe there was an element of that that he just I'm not quite sure why an experienced guy like Marrero was simply part of it was Martinez adapting very well right but also it was peculiar that the urgency seemed to disappear from Marrero after that round um Ultimately, let's go! it's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. I thought this was a tremendous outing for Xavier Martinez. I thought he fought very well 
conservatively and intelligently over the first seven rounds. I was very impressed with the way he was fighting over the first seven rounds. You know, when you asked me last week, what do we need to see from Martinez against against Marrero? And I, my, my answer was simply to get the win, simply because it was such a step up in opposition. And even though it was close through those first seven, uh, I think I had it five to two for him through seven rounds. He was winning and he was fighting with a maturity that, that, that impressed me. Um, and then to survive the eighth round, suck it up, keep his head and be the guy who was performing better down the stretch was tremendously impressive. It's the first time we've seen Martinez at all really up against it, having to dig deep at all, having to really test himself. And he came through it. And honestly, perhaps his body might not be feeling that today and his head might not be feeling that way today, but it might actually be better the fact that it worked out the way it did than had the final five rounds gone the way of the first seven rounds and he'd scored a good you know, a clear but close points win. The fact that he had to answer some questions and the fact that he learned that he can answer those questions, uh, I think will be really important. He now knows that he's got the skills. He's got the mentality. He's got the toughness. He doesn't want to let himself get into that kind of position very often because the next guy isn't going to let him off the hook the way that Marrero did. But he's pr- he's proven that he has the adaptability and the toughness and the strength uh, and the calmness, as well as the skills and the power that we've seen so far, this was a big step up in quality of opposition for him. And he came through it, I thought, very well. This is the kind of fight that he could look back on in several years as being potentially the sort of making of him in many respects. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, even though I come out of this fight wondering a bit, okay, maybe Xavier Martinez is not quite an A-plus boxing prospect. I still think this fight will have huge benefits for him as his career goes along, having gotten through a test like this. This is exactly what Brandon Lee needs right now. or Maybe not exactly. Maybe maybe 10% 10 less scary than this, but still, someone who can go rounds and push him. Marrero turned out to be perfect for Martinez at this point in his career. Yes, uh, not the perfect matchup as it turned out in the opener uh for the unbeaten guy uh previously unbeaten mayweather promotions 140 pound prospect malik hawkins got two stiffer tests as puerto rico's subreal matias spent the first round feeling him out and then honestly dishing out a beating uh dropping him with the left hand in round six and then as round seven was starting the doctor took a close look at hawkins and decided he'd had enough and by the way was it me or were the doctors extra officious on yeah i i don't i was gonna say something about that i'm not sure if it was the doctors or the refs or you know the refs calling the doctors in or or a commissioner was was doing that but i've never seen something quite like this where that often over the course of a card when a round starts the doctor takes a look at a fighter yeah yeah i don't know if that's a new thing from from the um commissioner or what but it was it was noticeable i thought but um yeah in the event i actually thought it was an excellent stoppage you and i were texting each other in in i think in that round six um and we both expressed an interest in not seeing it go much longer um when we made our picks i picked hawkins uh sometimes we get picks wrong and it's excusable things turn out the way they do that was a bad pick. That was just a straight-up bad pick. Um, we each took one big swing for the fences during the Charlo pay-per-view. But apart from that, I feel like this is the one truly bad pick I've made this year. And I think I knew it was the wrong pick when I was making it. Hmm. I bought into my own narrative that I had constructed that Matias was not the same post-Dadashev. Um, but I allowed his relatively subpar outing since that tragic fight to obscure just how dreadful Hawkins had been the last time out. Um, 
In fact, Matthias looks to have completely overcome any lingering issues he might have had about hurting opponents uh, after that data search strategy. He was positively Ricardo Mayorga-esque in the ring at times, I thought, actually. The way that he just thought, screw it, this guy can't hurt me. I'm not even going to bother wasting energy putting my hands up. I'm just going to stalk him around the ring with my hands down. Um, the way in which he showed utter contempt um, for him really did remind me of Mayorga at times. In contrast to me, you did not make a bad pick. You made a good pick. You predicted the win for Matthias. Was this pretty much what you were expecting? And where do you see each of these fighters going from here? Yeah, this is close to what I was expecting because I just wasn't impressed with much of what I've seen of Hawkins before this. He's just way too easy to hit, way too willing to give up his height and trade punches. So to to answer your question about where each of these guys is going from here, I'll just address Hawkins. I don't know. I, I, I don't think he has it. There's nothing about him that jumps out at me as a guy who's going to be a, a top contender at some point in the future. Um, but, you know, I don't want to take away from Matias. He he really delivered. As you just said, he clearly is not diminished by the tragic Dadashev fight. Um, as you said, he, he waited one round, sizing Hawkins up, and then he got aggressive in the second I love his left hook. He gets tremendous torque on it, was able to throw it from a slightly unorthodox angle against Hawkins. And he was just oozing confidence, uh, as you could tell, based on what you were talking about, of where he held his hands. They were all the way down at his side, and he was just walking right in. He was just fearless, totally unworried about Hawkins's power. Um, and what you mentioned about the, the doctors taking a look, um, in this case, it was a good thing. Uh, it yeah. helped us to, to get the correct conclusion at the correct time. I mean, Hawkins was holding a lot by the fourth round. He was taking a lot of punishment in the fifth and sixth. He was punching back still, but he was tired and clearly outgunned. Perfect decision to stop it at the beginning of round seven. Uh, and yeah, I think Matias is ready to start mixing with some contenders in, in this division. He is a legit talent and, and an exciting, aggressive fighter, the kind of guy you want to see on TV. My only criticism of him, when it was stopped, he did a dance, okay, and then did you notice he did a throat slash gesture? Yeah. Yeah, might, might want to take that one off the table when you already once won a fight that ended yeah. with your opponent dying. Uh, yeah, so, that yeah. leapt out at me in that very context also, yep. Yeah, it, I mean, it's the, that move is always in slightly poor taste, I guess, in boxing. But yeah, for him, it, it really got my attention. I would love for someone in his camp to get in his ear and say, maybe maybe don't do that anymore. Yeah. But other, other than that, I was totally impressed by uh, what I saw from Matias. So, uh, in our little picks competition, the Raskin rampage continues. Uh, <laughs> I, I had a 47-42 lead coming in. I got two points for picking Matias by KO. I got three points for picking Martinez by unanimous decision to your one point for picking a Martinez KO. And we both got zero points for the Clayton Lippinjets draw. But that means I'm now ahead 52 to 43. And uh, yeah, I think you're going to need an exact round knockout or two yeah. to get back in this thing. But, you know, don't don't feel bad, Kieran. I'm just really good at this. Uh, it's it's almost unfair for anyone to have to be a part of a picks competition with me. Uh, you, you may know I, I beat Detloff five years out of seven on Ring Theory. You're the new Detloff. Not much you can do about it. Wow. I wonder how Bill feels about that. <laughs> I, don't know, I was wondering how you would <laughs> feel about me saying that, but... <laughs> The Raskin Rampage, is that the name of like your roller derby franchise? Oh, uh, it would be were I not uh, terrified to do roller derby. Yes. Yeah, yes, indeed. Well, there you go. I'll tell you what, that's what one broken nose and one really bad pick. 
can do for you. It could just yeah. blow a picks competition right open, and that's that's such is life. Yep. Um, okay. These are our thoughts on the card from the comfort of our couches. Uh, now let's hear from a man who was ringside at Mohegan Sun. He is the newest member of the Showtime broadcast team, a former bantamweight, super bantamweight, and featherweight world champion. He joined us on the podcast after the first bubble card at Mohegan Sun in August. And now he joins us again, Abner Morris. Abner, welcome back to the Showtime Boxing Podcast. Hey, guys. How's it going? Thank you for having me on. Thank you very much for joining us. We, we really do appreciate it. And, and look, let's get your thoughts, if we can, on the main event first, Lipinets versus Clayton. Uh, no one should be expected to score a fight while commentating, but when it was done, was it your sense that a draw was fair? And, and what do you think either fighter could have done differently or better to have gotten that win last night? Listen, I think we couldn't have a better fight than we had yesterday. It was, it was really interesting. We got, you know, a, a clean boxer in Clayton that was just boxing the, the, the boxing shoes out of, of Lipinets. You know, great jab, great um, movement, boxing generalship all around, uh, right hand. But then you had a Lipinets that, that was always pressing the fight, always looking for that body work in your face, you know, pressing, um, you know, trying to get inside Clayton. And and that's when you, you could, you know, it, it was a really hard hard fight to score to be honest mm-hmm. um me being ringside um if you ask me to give you a um you know on who who could have won that fight uh, again you know it's so close but i saw clayton you know land the more clean punches in that fight to be honest uh but then again you, you know you can make a case of uh, lipping it's just pressing the fight you know, he got some really good inside punches. Um, you know, um, always, like I mentioned, really, you know, working that body. The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount+. Plus. What brings you to the Shy? Opportunity. Everybody get down! Walk right up to the side. A new rain is coming to the south side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes now streaming. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with the Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. The subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. But but uh, I was really impressed from from the never never really seen a clean, you know, first uh, U.S. debut here. Um I was I was impressed by Clayton. Uh, obviously, um, Lipinets did a fantastic job too, and 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 it was a great main main event. Yeah. So Lipinets said afterward that he, uh, he thought being out of the ring a while hurt him. That that he wanted mm-hmm. to be in rhythm more. Does he strike you as the sort of fighter who is sharper if he's fighting more regularly, or or, or does that not really add up when you consider that he built a lead early and, and then lost most of the late rounds? Yeah, yeah, I did realize that, you know, I'm I'm a good friend of um Joe Goose and his trainer. And I was actually talking a bit to, with him, you know, prior to the fight and he told me how well they trained for this fight. But um um you could train you could be out of the ring five years, train this whole five years, but if you have no, you know, prior fights, if you have no rhythm, if you're not in the ring before, you know, a big fight, um, you know, the timing is just not gonna show. And I think that's what we saw from from living it. Uh, I think that you know the time being out of the ring almost you know uh, almost a year, if not a year, 
was just it played differently. Uh, we saw a, a lazy Libanese at the beginning, couldn't get his rhythm, um, couldn't press at the beginning, wasn't not closing the ring. Um, and, um, you know, at the end, I think he was just playing catch up. And, and um, I think that that definitely did, did make an effect in, in this fight. Okay, and so and so, if, if they were to have a, a rematch in a few months, you you think we'd probably see a better version of of Lipinets than the one that we saw uh, in the ring on Saturday? I I honestly believe so. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Moving on to the Martinez Marrero co-feature. I mean, tell us if you can, as a fighter, how hard is it to do what Martinez did to get dropped twice early in a round? Got it out and, and then rally to win the fight. I mean, ha- and how impressed are you that at age 22, he didn't panic and he got through that? Listen, <laughs> if you ask me, hey, would you take a lot of money inside with TMT and get <laughs> these hard fights early on in your career? <laughs> uh, I would think about it twice, but um, <laughs> I love it. I, I like how Mayweather tests. He tells his fighters real soon, real quick, and and, and um, I, I love it. I mean, either you have it or you don't. And uh, I think that's what we saw in this card uh, with two of his fighters. Uh, now you're naming Martinez. And, and I think it, it was a, a fight where he he won. He, he won not just a, a decision on, on the fight, but just as a fighter, he grew uh, this is a fight where he, he grows so much. Um, he, he went out a different man. He went out a man. He came in a mm. kid, mm. and I think he went out a, a mature and, 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 and polished man um, last night. I mean, being knocked down, it tests you, you know, yeah. your, your demeanor, your heart, your mind. I mean, not only once, but twice. And... Um, he he showed he showed guts. He showed the the courage that you know a lot of fighters might have the the talent, but not too many have the the heart to keep on going. That you know what Martinez showed last night. So I was impressed by that. Yeah, and, and so you you referenced that it was uh, sort of a mixed results for the Mayweather prospects. The other one, uh, Malik Hawkins, uh, Subriel Matias really scored a statement win over him in, in the opener on the show, uh, dominating most of the way and then scoring a TKO at the start of the seventh. In your opinion, was this more a case of Matias being just a total badass who's going to cause problems for some top junior welterweights or of Hawkins not really being the world-class prospect that his promoters believe they had? Um, you know what? A little bit of both. I honestly, I didn't see the Malik Hawkins that I'm, I'm used to seeing. Um, uh, as a commentator, I, I you know I presented him going in, and I said I mentioned that I was really high on the kid, and I liked you know what I was seeing from him. Um, but when you have again, you know this is where you test these fighters. When you have a a veteran, a a fighter that presses you and, and tests you early on, that's when you see the real true colors of a fighter. And I think that's what we saw from Malik. I mean, not saying that he's a bad fighter, but at the end of the day, you know, you just you take the loss, you go back to the drawing board, and and you keep on perfecting your craft. Um, it was just one of those nights where he just got exposed. All right, hey, look, Abner, thanks very much for giving us uh, your perspective from being ringside of that fight. Uh, we will talk to you again later in the week when we preview Davis Santa Cruz. So thanks very much, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you for the time. Appreciate it. 
Well, that strong Showtime triple header wasn't the only boxing broadcast of the weekend, as on Friday night, DAZN streamed what turned out to be a tremendous card from Mexico City. In the main event, Juan Francisco Estrada repeated his 2017 decision win over Carlos Cuadras, uh, this time scoring the stoppage in the 11th round. I won't even bother asking you if this would be the leading candidate for fight of the year, if not for Zapeda Baranchik, because I don't think there's any room for debate that this would be the leading candidate for fight of the year, if not for Zapeda Baranchik. Uh, I said, how fun was this fight? Um, Estrada getting off the canvas in round three and then rallying to knock Quadras out. Uh, I know that you're a believer in Estrada. You have him in your pound for pound top 10. Were you at any point doubting that he would win this? Yeah, a bit. I mean, how could you not after he got legitimately knocked down in round three? We know Quadras is a world-class fighter, so when that happened, yeah, I I wondered if at age 30, with more than 40 pro fights, maybe Estrada was beginning to slide. Uh, But I was wrong to doubt him, it turned out. Uh, What an absolutely magnificent little fighter he still is. I think think anyone who doesn't have him in their pound-for-pound top 10 is frankly wrong. Uh, And uh, of the 12 people who do the ESPN poll, seven of them don't have him in the top 10. Uh, Wow. Just surprised to see that. Yeah, I thought I was looking at it. I was thinking, oh, I'm going to find like three or four people that I can call out here for not having him. Nope. Seven out of 12 don't have him. Um, But in any case, tremendous fight here. Just great action from start to finish. Uh, If this was the fight of the year winner, uh, if, if if there were no Zepeda Baranchik, yeah, it'd probably be a weaker-than-average fight-of-the-year winner. Uh, but we did lose three or four months this year. So it, it still would have been a fine pick. Uh, until Zepeda Branchik. there just were no good fight-of-the-year candidates, really. And now they're piling up. Uh, and this was a blast. Uh, just, just the right amount of drama and punishment dished out and momentum swings. And you have to feel a little bad for Quadras, who has come along during an outstanding era for flyweights, super flyweights, and can't get over the hump, just keeps losing close to the top guys. And uh, speaking of those top guys that Quadras has lost competitively to, in the co-feature, the Chocolatito comeback tour continued as Roman Gonzalez won a unanimous decision over Israel Gonzalez in another good action fight. We're building to Chocolatito Estrada 2, and I can't think of many doubleheader cards in history that did a better job of building up the expected yeah. fight between the winners. <laughs> Kieran, are you even more pumped for Chocolatito Estrada 2 now? Uh, and, and how surprised are you that Chocolatito appears to still have it after the way he looked against Strisaket Soaring Visay a couple of years ago? I, I'm incredibly pumped uh, for, for the rematch. And, and the return of Chocolatito has been... You know, like an amazing thing to behold. When Estrada and Quadras last fought um, at what was then the Subhub Center, um, on that card, Sorung Visay knocked out Gonzalez in their rematch, and Chocolatito looked a beaten, beaten man. You know, after that knockout, he sat slumped on the canvas, and he looked for all the world like somebody who just didn't want to do this anymore. And, and I really did think he was done. But, you know, he had been fighting at that stage with real regularity, like every four months or so against the absolute top guys at 108, 112, 115. And he'd been struggling even at 115, despite being a really small guy, despite being smaller even than a lot of 115-pounders, to keep himself on weight between fights. And and so that was a physical struggle for him that was draining him. And, and in hindsight, maybe it was just a case, as much as anything, of it all just catching up to him. Mm. Uh, uh, the activity, the quality of the opposition, the, the battle with weight, combined with the fact that against Sorung Visay, he was just up against maybe his, his Ken Norton, the, a guy who was big and strong and just the wrong style matchup for him, uh, especially at that point. 
But then after that, he took a full year out, allowed himself to rest and heal. And since then, is that really very good indeed? My understanding is that also he's he's done something with his conditioning, and that he's 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 able to keep his weight issues under control, so he isn't draining himself as much with that. And honestly, in his last couple of fights, he's looked every inch like the chocolatey to of old. On Friday night, he threw an incredible one thousand two hundred and forty-one punches. Um, that's the third highest output. First of all, the fact that he actually even has two fights where he's thrown more than one thousand two hundred and forty-one punches is amazing. Mm-hmm. But that he threw that the third highest total of his career at age thirty-three in his fifty-second pro fight and landed three hundred and thirty-seven of them. And not only that. He adapted against a younger, faster, taller opponent, possibly going behind in the first couple rounds, but figuring out how to nullify that reach disadvantage he was at, showing angles, moving inside, breaking uh, the other Gonzalez down. It was just an all-round masterful performance from a future Hall of Famer. And look, you and I have always been big fans and boosters of his. We both had him at pound for pound number one. It's just a real delight to see yeah. him fighting at this level again. It really is. It's what an absolutely marvelous fighter he is. And uh, what uh, an all time great, yeah. really. And it's so funny. I had made the same note about Carlos Quadras. Um, you know, in another era, he might have been a dominant flyweight and super flyweight. Um, but my God, he runs into Chocolatito, gives him a very tough and close fight. Gives a very tough and close fight to Estrada, then has this one with Estrada. Honestly, what an era to be really interested in this weight class. Yeah. Um, Estrada and Chocolatito both are going down as all-time greats at this weight class. What an amazing time it is to uh, to, to be able to follow these these fellows. And I am very, very much now looking forward to a Chocolatito Gonzalez Juan Francisco Estrada rematch. Yeah, and this this doubleheader really uh just made the, made the excitement really built toward it perfectly i mean this was like the exact opposite of uh, you'll remember that double header that uh, hopkins and delahoya shared yes hopkins won a dull fight against robert allen and oscar escaped with a questionable decision over felix sturm and when it was over that definitely took a few pay-per-view buys away yep. from hopkins delahoya this double header makes chocolatito estrada to feel huge and it doesn't feel easy at all to pick a winner right now. It does not. Yeah. All right. So turning our attention uh, to the fights ahead of us, uh, coming up just around the corner. Uh, of course, the the biggest fight of the coming weekend is Javante Davis versus Leo Santa Cruz. But there is a fair amount of other action on the schedule. On Friday, October 30th from Indio, California with DAZN streaming, a solid middleweight matchup between Jaime Munguia and Toriano Johnson. On Saturday afternoon, U.S. time, DAZN will stream a card from the U.K., headlined by Oleksandr Usyk's first test as a heavyweight against Derek Chisora, and then competing against the pay-per-view, and thus relegated to watch-it-later status for me, ESPN Plus is carrying a card from the MGM bubble, headlined by Naoya Inoue versus Jason Maloney, with Michaela Mayer facing Ewa Brodnika in the co-feature. We've touched on most of these fights as news items over the last several weeks, uh, but I have to say, not a bad main event in the bunch. Is there one you're particularly looking forward to, Kieran? I mean, all of them, obviously, but for me, the big one, both literally and figuratively, is Usyk Chisora. Um, I've been extremely high on Usyk for a long time, even when he had that brief, you know, like three or four fight spell where he seemed technically proficient, but underwhelming to watch. Um, 
I, I, but I think he has that, that wonderful combination of, of skill and power. And of course, he has that tremendous charisma and personality, which is, you know, a polite way of expressing the fact that he's just a little bit off center. <laughs> um, and there would be, you know, there were more than one occasion when I'd be interviewing him for HBO and we all would say to him, not just me, but the crew, the folks who were, who were doing the, the fighter minutes for the broadcast, that he was big for a cruiserweight. And we would say to him, God, you could fight a heavyweight. But it's one thing being a big cruiserweight, and it's another thing entirely taking on solid-sized heavyweights. And, and this is a real challenge for him. You know, Chisora is by no means the greatest heavyweight whoever walked the earth, but he's a highly capable one and a dangerous one and an experienced one. This is a legitimate test. If Usyk's ability to, to take a punch from and, and inflict damage on a, a true heavyweight contender. And if he comes through this, and particularly if he comes through it well, it's going to really add to all the permutations in the heavyweight division going forward. Um, so, so that's the one that I'm most looking forward to out of the ones you've mentioned, but there's much to look forward to in the others. Brodnicka looks like a genuinely tough ask of Mayer, hmm. um, and I really like the Mungia-Johnson matchup. Uh, Mungia, you know, we, we talked about this quite a bit before, how at 154, Mungia, a lot of his success was just being too big and too strong for other junior middles. He's not going to be able to bully Turiano Johnson. Johnson's a, a strong, tough, tough guy. Um, one thing we did see with Munguia last time out against Spike O'Sullivan is he actually showed some boxing skills. And I think that's what he's going to need to, to do more of now he's at middleweight. And it'll be really interesting to see if what worked against Gary Spike O'Sullivan is something that's going to work against Toriano Johnson. And of course, who doesn't want to watch the monster, um, in his first outing since that unexpectedly tough fight against Anita Donaire. And for the second time in a row, he's taking on one of the nicest guys in boxing as well. I mean, I don't know Jason Maloney, but just by looking at him, he seems like he's one of the nicest fellas he could possibly want to meet. Um, and uh, it's going to be good to see uh, what Monster has after that very difficult fight against Danaya. Hmm. Yeah, I actually haven't uh, checked out any Ewa Bradnika yet. So that's interesting to learn that she's uh, potentially a, a really tough test for, for Mayer. Um, yeah, I, the Monkia Johnson jumps out at me. I, I wouldn't mm. be shocked if that sneaks up on people as another fight of the year contender. Uh, it seems like a good style matchup. And I also wouldn't be shocked if Johnson won. Uh, if, if they make him a big enough underdog, I'd yeah. put a few bucks on that. Uh, but like you, I'm certainly uh, looking forward particularly to Usyk Chisora. It'll tell us a lot about whether Usyk is indeed a threat to the likes of Fury and Joshua. But, you know, when it's over... I will miss Usyk's videos taunting, hi, Derek. You know, I, <laughs> I, I, I would assume he'll be done doing that uh, after this fight is over, and uh, that'll be sad for me. <laughs> um, while we are in the midst of these two extremely busy weeks in the ring, kind of a slow week for outside the ring news, uh, we should mention that a fight was reportedly signed for December 5th in London on the theoretical Tyson Fury undercard uh, between Mickey Conlon and Isaac Dogbay. Uh, really interesting matchup on paper not really worth discussing it at this time uh until that whole fury situation uh gets firmed up uh the news that really does warrant discussion and concerns the aftermath of tiafimo lopez's victory over vasily lomachenko uh there's good news and there's bad news uh let's get the bad news out of the way first because no good victory can really be achieved without some sort of asterisk. Uh, Lomachenko underwent shoulder surgery on the Monday after the fight. Uh, that was his right shoulder, which was the same one that he had surgery on in 2018. Uh, manager Egis Klimas saying he re-injured it 
during round two against Lopez and that had been bothering him at times during training. Eric, to what extent does this diminish Lopez's performance or perhaps more pertinently excuse Lomachenko's slow start in that fight? Man, this is so hard to say for sure, but Mm. the way I lean is look at how Lomachenko fought the second half of the fight. He looked Mm -hmm. like Loma, right? How much could the shoulder really have been bothering him? If it was seriously injured, then, wow, hats off. He masked it incredibly well. Um, I think he was reluctant to throw in the first half of the fight because of what Lopez was doing. His, his skill, his hand speed, Lomachenko didn't feel comfortable punching until he was so far behind in the fight that he had no choice and, and couldn't wait until he got comfortable, until he totally figured Lopez out. He just had to kind of let his hands go. I don't doubt that it was injured. Uh, he apparently did have injections about six weeks out from the fight. He had the surgery afterward. You don't get surgery on a healthy right. shoulder. I think <laughs> e- even QAnon believers wouldn't go for that conspiracy theory. Um, so my belief is, yes, it was a problem leading into the fight, but probably just a minor one. And and then, you know, maybe he aggravated it early in the fight. And so, yeah, you know, maybe if he's 100% healthy, he wins or he ekes out a drop. We can't know. But it, it shouldn't diminish Lopez's performance because – who is ever 100% healthy. Everybody's dealing with something. Uh, I'd say it shouldn't take away from Lopez's win, but all involved would be smart to play it up if they're going to have a rematch, uh, as it it adds intrigue to say Loma wasn't quite 100% last time. Maybe he'll get revenge in the rematch. You know, if people can convince themselves Mayweather-Pacquiao too is intriguing because Manny was compromised the first time, it should be pretty easy to do that with Lopez and Loma. Um, So that's the bad news, the shoulder injury. I'll let you comment on the good news. Lopez Lomachenko drew a tremendous rating for ESPN, peaking at approximately 2.898 million viewers with an average audience during the main event of 2.729 million. That makes this the most watched fight on US TV since Manny Pacquiao versus Jeff Horn in 2017. Knowing that, is it safe to say it was worth it for the fighters or at least for the victorious Lopez? to take a little less money for this fight in order to have it viewed by as many fans as possible. To pick up on the sort of hint that you made there as you asked the question, for Lomachenko, not so much. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and especially as, again, to follow up from the point that you just made, apparently his team didn't include a rematch clause. Right. And because, as exactly as you said, a rematch could have done very well if they'd had it on ESPN again. Yeah, yeah, he was terrible for seven rounds, but like you said, he had that stirring comeback, and then you add in the fact that there he was, you know, he was fighting through this injury that was so bad that he had to have surgery a couple of days later. Um, instead, you just have a man who entered the night being vaunted by me and others as, as possessing superlative skills, looking ordinary, being beaten by the young opponent, uh, who has no interest at the moment in in giving him a rematch because he's got the leverage and so he's going to he's going to make him work for it so but for lopez absolutely yeah. absolutely it was worth it not only did he usurp the number 1 boxer on this and according to me other worlds he <laughs> did so comprehensively he did so skillfully and like you said he did so in front of nearly 3 million viewers um relative to most boxers in the united states in the year 2020 so this is grading on a curve teofimo lopez is now a pretty famous guy yeah um you can only wonder 
how many more eyeballs he might have attracted if boxing didn't insist on making its East Coast fans stay up until 1 a.m. Um, on a Saturday night, Sunday morning, every week. Uh, that's another matter. That's a discussion that you and I, a drum that you and I have beaten yes. repeatedly. Um, and also, you know, gosh, part of me wish, still wishes that they'd been able to wait until they could have had a decent crowd. You know, as we talked about last week, it really felt during that evening's buildup that this was a, a fight that really would have benefited so much from the electricity and atmosphere of a crowd. But God, the way things are going, who the hell knows how long that will be? You know, next week there's going to be a crowd, but it's going to be 11,000 people in a 70,000-seat arena or something. So right. it'll be a long time before we have a packed crowd again. So they took their chance. They saw the opening. They decided to go for it. Um, less than ideal circumstances, less than ideal money. But Lopez did it because he knew in his mind that he had the beating of Vasily Lomachenko, and he proved it. And uh, full credit to him, he did himself no harm at all. He is going to make a lot more money in the future because yep. of his willingness to make a little bit less money last week. Indeed. All right, that will do it for another episode of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. Our thanks again to Abner Morris for joining us. As noted earlier, we will be back midweek with more from Abner as we preview the Davis-Santa Cruz pay-per-view card. Uh, and then we'll also drop a podcast on Friday after the weigh-in featuring our official predictions. Uh, until next time, thanks for listening. Be safe, kind, 